Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's another edition of Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. And my special guest co-host for the day, per tradition on Thursdays, most of the time, he is the sports director at KHON2, Robbie D. Rob DeMello is in the house. Rob, how are you doing today? Are you holding up all right? Got some rough news. Man, this has been a rough few weeks. Just, I mean, there's so much going on. And, of course, we uh, dabble in our little playpen of sports over here. And so, you know, we'll talk about that for sure. Uh, And it sounds trivial, but uh, at the same time, you are wearing your Angels hat. Uh, That is an established, you are a card-carrying Angels fan. That is an established thing, well-documented. And, of course, the news coming out that Shohei Otani now uh, with that injury uh, is no longer going to pitch this season for the Angels. Uh, And then the Mike Trout thing, that's another thing that I'm sure is causing you stress. But let's talk about Shohei uh, here initially. Uh, The news that he uh, suffered an arm injury that will prevent him from pitching the rest of the season. Uh, Since they decided to, as a franchise, go all in and be like, all right, we're going to keep him here. Uh, We're going to try to see if we can make a playoff run. Things have gone south since, and now you have this news. Uh, How you feeling, man? Yeah, man. I, well, to be honest, I feel bad for him because it's a contract year. I mean, all the speculation all year long was, you know, is this going to be the billion-dollar contract and half a billion-dollar player and all this, right? And um, and whether or not he's going to stay in Anaheim or if he's going to go elsewhere. And then now all of a sudden toward the end of this season with this happening, it makes you wonder, I mean, how much less – would a potential contract be for Shohei Otani, whether it's in Anaheim or whether it's somewhere else? Because if he remains a starting pitcher, it won't be for some time. And he's going to have to uh, you know, work his way back to one day being a starting pitcher. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, probably won't be for the next season, right? And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I just feel really bad that, that that's happening. Um, taking myself out of the Angel fandom and – um, you know, there's a lot of speculation that maybe this increases the chances of Shohei staying in Anaheim because now the suitors will go down. Uh, but either way you look at it, yeah, it's it's been a bummer of a season for the Angels. I, I, I don't ever remember seeing anything like this where someone goes all in at the trade deadline, right? A team says like, no, we're not going to sell. We're right there, five games above 500. We're going to go all in and we're going to try and get to the postseason and then they absolutely, from that moment, just tank and just fall apart. And now they're nowhere near the the postseason. And, and then you have something like this happen. It, it's just a big bummer. Yeah, I mean, you can hit with an, a UCL uh, injury. That is what it is mm-hmm. um, in his throwing elbow. Um, but you can't throw. If you have surgery, you're talking about at least uh, usually like a nine-month rehab, uh, oftentimes longer than that. Uh, we have seen in the past uh, UCL tears that have led to later complications. And so it puts – I actually feel obviously bad for him, even though uh, it's hard to kind of put into a perspective feeling bad. It's like, man, he's not going to get the $500 million yeah, contract. Yeah. It might only be $300 million. <laughs> I, I feel really bad for him. But that said, I, I you know, that is a bummer. I actually feel – worse for 
baseball for yeah. baseball fans because like this guy has been such a phenomenon uh and that clip just just the other night of uh ellie de la cruz like just poking at the arm of shohei otani as if to say like are you real you know like these two absolute like um just adonis like figures in baseball these specimens uh sort of in awe of one another it's like wow the future of baseball is in a great place uh and i think that that takes a little bit of a hit because shohei is such a phenomenon was such uh, an unprecedented talent and so if he is going to have to be out of the pitching game for at least a season after this perhaps um, that's gonna that's gonna I think negatively or adversely affect the general interest to at least some degree uh, in in the game of baseball because I think you have a lot of people who are more moderate fans who aren't necessarily in that inner concentric circle of being like baseball buffs um, who just watched Shohei because they're like, wow, I've never really seen anything like this. And you have half of that, in essence, half of that incredible level of excitement that at least temporarily, and who knows, right? You have to sort of do the math of like, all right, and then uh, after he comes back from this injury, whenever they that may be, you know, his age, some of the other things, you know, contractually speaking, like, is he going to be as inclined to get back on the mound? You just don't know what's going to happen. It puts a big question mark on the future for him as a pitcher, and that's what bums me out. Yeah, and, and maybe you have to reimagine what Shohei Otani as a pitcher looks like. You know, uh, maybe it's he's this fantastic hitter that ends up being a closer, for somebody, right? I mean, that significant, significant drop-off as far as innings pitched and the amount of stress that you're putting on uh, your elbow, your shoulder, and all that if you're only pitching an inning every other day mm-hmm. or whatever it is, uh, as opposed to going out there and pitching a complete game, pitching seven innings while you're hitting and all that. And so, you know, maybe that's his future. Maybe that once he has the surgery and he gets through this and he is able to throw again, whoever he's playing for at the time, whether it's the Angels or someone else, uh, maybe that's how you use him. And he continues to be a pitcher, and he continues to amaze people, uh, but it's just at the back end of games as, as, as opposed to front end of games. I mean, imagine if you had a healthy Shohei Otani as your closer, right? Uh, that would be pretty incredible as well. So uh, I, I just think that whatever happens from here, you're going to have to reimagine what – the greatness of Shohei Otani looks like. And, I mean, we'd be foolish to think that he couldn't be great in a different role or, uh, you know, having to tweak it a little bit. I mean, he's incredible. Well, and this isn't really the first time he's gone through this, right? And so I I think that's the other thing is uh, his rehab the first time around back in 2018 or whatever it was, which sort of postponed his being this two-way talent, um, that took a long time. I mean, a couple of years before he was able to go out there. And then to see what he became. Right. I think that's the thing. It just became this like super human type of talent uh, that we have never in modern baseball seen, certainly to that degree in both the offensive area of the game and uh, as far as being a pitcher is concerned. Uh, and so you wonder, you know, if, if you go through that kind of duress on your arm a second time, you know, what is it going to look like at the end of that road and i think that those those are the concerns it's just the reminder that and this is this is so trite and 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 so unfair perhaps as as an observer of baseball uh but certainly a fan of baseball it's just so unfair because we put these uh, like fairy tale narratives to these guys we attach them to these guys uh, and and ask things that are so unfair right for these guys who put in so much work and play 162 games uh, throughout a season in the wear and tear on their body that of course 
course is going to come, but it's like we look at a guy like Shohei. I know I have. The thing that has really sort of brought me down is like, oh, he is human. Like, of course, of course he is. But uh, it just it became this thing that was so surreal uh, that I think the, the, that's the sobering aspect of it is like, oh, he's, he's actually a human being just like all of us. And, and uh, when you have to put the duress on your body like he does, uh, you know, in, in ways that are different from everybody else, this kind of thing can happen. And this is super cliche, but I mean, let this be a reminder too to enjoy what it is yeah. that's happening before you. Uh, you know, and, and just for sports fans, right? I mean, while Shohei was doing what he was doing, like there's always this you you, you want to progress it and like what does this mean or what can he do next or where will he go and how about just enjoy what you're seeing? And and this goes for anything. This goes for University of Hawaii sports where you know, 2015, 16, Incredibles basketball team, while they're doing <laughs> what they're doing, yeah, you're enjoying it, but, I mean, you hear so much talk about, like, oh, well, they should have been doing this, they should be doing this, or well, imagine if they had this guy, imagine, oh, what are they going to do next? And yeah. how about just enjoy what you're watching? Because now, when you look back all these years, they haven't done it again, and if you just enjoyed that a little bit more, and you just lived in the moment <laughs> yeah. of enjoying that, right? As opposed to always trying to look ahead and what's going to happen next from here. You're living in a fantasy world, man. I if know. you think that sports fans for one second are going to have some kind of tempered approach to this and be thinking like, you know what, you're right. I'm going to calm it down. I'm going to enjoy. <laughs> you know, I'm going to watch LeBron here in these last few years of his career, and I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm not going to compare him to Michael Jordan. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Like that's the that's. I wish we could do that. Like no, that but, is so idyllic, and I I would absolutely love that. But it's like we just we just can't. But maybe this is a at least one part of a lesson that uh, could lead some people to do that. Because I agree with you. Like, I think that that's something that would be great. If we could kind of calm things down, slow things down, enjoy the moment, enjoy these unprecedented talents while we sort of have them that remind us of why we love sports in the first place. Uh, but that's just not how the world works these, in this day and age. You go on Twitter right now. It is a bleep show about Shohei Otani right now. Yeah, you know, this might not have anything to do with what we were talking about, but it sparked my memory. Sam Spangler and I had this conversation the other other day where he, we were talking about our fandoms are a little bit different where you know he he gets super stressed about his San Francisco Giants and 49ers <laughs> and you know even though I follow the teams that I like but you know it doesn't like totally ruin me right <laughs> and so we asked this question of if 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 he could have his team win one like guarantee it's going to win one championship like the, they're going to win the championship but then never make the playoffs again would he take that? Or you could have your team make the playoffs every single year but never win a championship for as long as you live. And to me, I was like, dude, give me that. Mm -hmm. I don't – like if I get to enjoy a season where there's meaningful games at the end where they go to the playoffs, I'll take that every single year and never see them win a championship. But almost everyone in our newsroom that we asked this question to who are huge fans of someone said they want the championship. And I found that crazy i i thought it was weird that i was the only one that would be okay with not winning a championship but never having to worry about a losing season yeah yeah no that, that's interesting because i think i would be on the side of again perspective is everything yeah so uh, you know as a detroit lions fan right it's like we haven't tasted anything yeah. <laughs> just one playoff win forever um and so it's like the idea of oh my gosh if we were to win 
a Super Bowl, like how great would just that moment be? Just that feeling, that night, that week, the following year as, as you're the defending champ. Like that would just be so incredible. You'd be out in orbit. But imagine uh, never- in that level of, of happiness. But I think that's why, to a degree, like perspective is everything. Sam Spangler's stressing out about the 49ers because the 49ers are often in contention and playing these high-stakes games. As a Detroit Lions fan, uh, you know, there are a lot of expectations this season. The reason why I hate that is because usually back half of the season, eh, it's pretty stress-free, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, I think perspective uh, is everything. I think I would like the taste of a championship. Wow, see, another person. Yeah. I'm like alone in this. Well, because my life is not changed. Like, if they were to win a, a Super Bowl and then go back to like not contending, you'd be like, oh, okay, so um, the Lions are back to where they were for my entire adult life and beyond. Uh, but we had that one championship. So it wouldn't feel different. It, the only thing that would change is I had that one moment of being on top of the world as a sports fan. I would love that. Yeah, but uh, so imagine this, though. As a Lions fan, every Thanksgiving, you get to watch your team play, right? That's tradition, right? And now every Thanksgiving, you're in November, they're a good football team. They're playing for something and and – I, and you know, in this in this exercise, I mean, I don't know if you know at the time that they're never going to win a championship. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, right. Yeah. That makes it a little different too. But, um, but I mean, I would take that all the time to never have to worry about this team being horrible, never having to worry about them being three and thirteen or or whatever it is. Like they're always winning. They're always having a winning season. Whether and and how deep they go is you know. Yeah, you, you don't know, but you know they're not going to win the championship. Uh, I'd still, I'd take yeah. that, man. But there's something to be said about that for sure. Uh, but again, I think that's where the perspective comes in, right? And 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 perception being reality. Uh, because imagine how frustrated. Because yeah, right now on the bottom looking up, right from the bottom looking up. As I'll just use the Detroit Lions as as the example, right? Like we've just been bottom feeders in the NFL forever, uh, really since the Super Bowl era began. Uh, and so from this position looking up, the idea of like, oh yeah, if we were just like pretty decent every year, that would be fantastic. But then imagine yourself after years go yeah, by being in that of yeah of, of, no of being kind of close on the doorstep imagine the level of frustration and i think the paradigm would shift and all of a sudden it'd be like what's wrong with us why can't we get over the hump this is awful this is terrible so close and yet so far it's like you start feeling like how the buffalo bills did in all those super bowls you as, know what i mean as you were talking i was going to bring up the buffalo bills i have a buddy that's a bills fan i remember as a kid him being so frustrated that they had <laughs> lost four straight Super Bowls. And I remember at the time, like, we were kids, like, what was that, 92, 93, right? Yeah, at that the time. range. So I'm 10, 11 years old. And I remember looking at him being like, wait, like, what are you upset about? That's four straight AFC championship games. Like, how are you <laughs> no. seriously so stressed out about that? Why are you so upset that they didn't win a Super Bowl, but they won four straight AFC championships? And, yeah, I would... I would take that. Mm, I would I take the Saints losing four straight NFC mm, Championship games. Easier said than done, I think. When you have a field goal missing that costs you a Super Bowl, like that pain, that feeling of being so close, like I think we might be losing sight of just how painful that actually is. Again, perception is reality. Perspective is everything. Uh, I think imagine yourself in that position repeatedly. Yeah. Oh, that is a lot no. of pain to reckon with, my man. Hey, we're... We spent a lot of time together in 2009, right, at the time that the Saints went to the Super Bowl. I remember being way more stressed for the NFC Championship game than I was the Super Bowl because I didn't care. You felt like the Super Bowl was a, was a yeah, bonus like I already. I literally, like, hey, if they, won, if they win yeah. the Super Bowl, that's awesome. 
But if they don't, like, they made it. Like, I saw the Saints go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. It was the NFC Championship game that was more stressful to me. That, like, oh, my gosh, they're a, door, they're a step away from two weeks of coverage of, them, of people just talking about the Saints and me watching all these shows and all these things. Uh, to me, the, the conference championship was yeah, – yeah. yeah really, uh, really easy for you to say, uh, looking back on it, <laughs> since the Saints, you know, won the Super Bowl that year. Look at you, just Mr. Kumbaya, Mr. Hey, oh, I would have been fine no, whatever happened. I remember us doing a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> right, Aaron Francisco was on the Colts, and you asked me if the Saints. Oh, here this again, right? this again, yeah. No, if the Saints, like it's a yard away, and Aaron Francisco is the one that stands in between the Saints winning the Super Bowl or not, and it, what made it easy to say like I'd rather have the Hawaii guy make the tackle is because they made the Super Bowl, like mm-hmm. they made yeah. it. All right, we'll get that. Uh, uh, how's the um, shipment on the uh, lie detector test? Like, uh, when, oh, when can we on. expect the uh, arrival on that? When, <laughs> when are we going to get that here in, in studio? Because uh, sometimes it is hard. It is hard to fathom your stance on that, and easy to say now that the Saints, you know, are in the pantheon of Super Bowl championships. You're talking to but a guy you who asked me that this team's never tasted that. Right. That was the week of the Super Bowl. Yeah, you, but you, you were bracing yourself. You were bracing <laughs> yourself. Uh, 808-296-1420 is the number to call. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we will talk about University of Hawaii football because in a couple of days, this season officially kicks off week zero against Vanderbilt. Uh, some pretty hot temperatures over there, an incomplete stadium <laughs> structure around them. Um, we'll get into all of that stuff, what the expectations are here this week in UH football. I got Robbie D., Rob DeMello. Okay, H-O-N-2 Sports Director in the house. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. Hey, Fujitsu Air Conditioning Systems includes a special trifecta warranty that will have you saying, I love my Fujitsu. We thank them for their support here of Let's Talk Sports. Welcome back. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Rob DeMello of KHON2 Sports is my guest co-host for the day. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. You can text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. All right, here we go. We're two days away, Robbie D. UH Vanderbilt 2023 season, year two in the Timmy Chang era. Uh, the challenge for Hawaii uh, in the form of Vanderbilt will be obviously in Nashville. It is very hot from what we understand. Not that it wasn't hot on the practice field over at UH, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, it's it's maybe kicking up a few notches uh, over there in Tennessee. Um, you have this just monstrous offensive line that the defensive unit for Hawaii is going to have to deal with, right? These guys, they average like 6'6", 330 across the board, like just something uh, ridiculous like that. Um I think we have a lot of confidence. I had Rich Miano in here yesterday, our resident football guru, and uh, seemed to be a consensus for the most part with everyone that has watched practice that uh, there's confidence that the defense is going to be improved. They have a little bit more rhyme and reason this year, more veteranship, uh, certainly on the back end in that defensive secondary. I think there's a lot of trust in those guys. You can make the argument that that defensive secondary, including the nickel package, uh, you would put up maybe against almost every other Mountain West team um, going into this season. Uh, but this is going to be a challenge for sure. Uh, the main questions I think most people would agree are going to be on the offensive side. What are you looking for here? What's the first thing uh, that you would list as far as uh, what is going to be most on your mind as they get, kick off this game here on Saturday? 
Yeah, you touched up on it. I think the offensive side of the ball, if there is a blaring question mark about this football team, it is offensively. How ready are they for this season to implore the run and shoot offense and find success in it? And so I think that's what I'll be looking for first is the decision making by Braden Shager. Um, also the the talent at receiver can these guys find the pukas and essentially that's the name of the game when it comes to the run and shoot offense can these receivers take advantage of what the defense is showing them in order to find the pukas and therefore then can Braden Shager find those guys yeah right and, yeah. and so that's going to be the the what my focus is on uh, and I think I speak for everybody that follows University of Hawaii football through the first couple of drives is can they do that? And is Braden Shager um, willing to take his medicine? And if someone finds a puka, making sure I get that person the football, even if they're only four yards down the field. I think that's going to be key in trying to pull off an upset at Vanderbilt is just keeping drives sustained, being able to move the chains and not necessarily looking for the 65-yard touchdown yeah. because against Vanderbilt, that is less likely than against someone else, maybe even in the Mountain West Conference because of the athleticism team speed, yeah. and the team speed. I think that's the biggest thing that I will say going into this game. Now, would I chalk this up as a win for the University of Hawaii? No, I wouldn't put the odds in Hawaii's favor uh, for this game against Vanderbilt. But I will say this, that the gap has been closed from the team speed, the overall athleticism from game one last year to this year against Vanderbilt. Uh, you saw so many of those plays that Vanderbilt made was in open space, one-on-one, -on -one, their guy against Hawaii's guy, and Hawaii's guy had no chance of stopping Vanderbilt's guy. I think that, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that gap has been closed. So you're, I don't think you're going to see 63-10 to 10 again. I really don't. Um, now, how much has that gap been closed? How much closer can Hawaii get? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I don't think that Vanderbilt... It, it, right now, the start of this season is 53 points better than Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, you never know how it goes. I, I think that's the tricky thing about the run and shoot, as we have seen in the past, though, right? It can snowball one way or the other. If you don't get off to a positive start, you get kind of put behind the eight ball. You're down a couple of scores. Uh, and then the natural human instinct sometimes is, all right, then you start to just coil up and you try to make the big hero play, right? That can often happen in the mind of a quarterback. Um, and even sometimes, depending on, on you know the coach and and what they're trying to establish there. Uh, and so I think that's it's getting started, obviously, uh, in a positive way is always imperative for any team in any game ever. Uh, but I think, especially as you are trying to establish this run and shoot, right, and employ this, as you said, uh, for, for the first time here in the Timmy Chang era, at least officially as your offense. And this is going to be multifaceted. Let's not uh, think that this is going to be the old-fashioned run and shoot that we saw uh, every week from June Jones and company. Uh, this is going to be Timmy Chang signature style and this coaching staff uh, and so we'll still see some RPO plays we'll definitely see some tight end H-back formations um, 11 personnel that kind of thing I think that uh, what's going to be interesting is whether or not they can keep the defense honest via the running aspect of this offense if Braden Shager is going to be relegated to just sitting back on every down and trying to throw the ball I don't think that best serves him that certainly doesn't best serve play calling and 
best serve uh, the diversity of the offense. I think if they can somehow get Tylen Hines, uh, whether they're ro- you know motioning him out into the slot or whether he's getting the ball in the backfield, if they can get the ball in his hands and he can start doing some stuff, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, how do we run counter to that? How do we play call off of that play? Because now they have to at least partially be a little worried about it. And so to me, those are the things. The, the, the concern is certainly, or the questions at least, are certainly more on, on the offensive side because we haven't really seen, at least throughout the practices that I've been to, and admittedly haven't been to all of them, uh, but in, in the times that I've watched, uh, it seems as though the offense is still very much a work in progress, and that's probably going to be the case for a good part of this early stage of the season. Yeah, and, and the one thing that, and this isn't fair to bring up because obviously we knew how that ended. We knew the the greatness that would follow or the, the positivity that would follow, but you know, I kind of got to remind everyone that, you know, coming from the 2017 to the 2018 season when Nick Rolovich decided that, okay, yeah. it's time to go to the run and shoot offense. We were all there in the 2018 training camp and you had Chevin Cordero kind of outplay Cole McDonald, but neither of them were having great camps really. Uh, the, the offense just didn't show you everything. You didn't go into that season thinking like, oh, Wait till you get a look at this. Colorado State, watch out. They went up on the road, and I felt a lot like how I felt right now, where it's kind of just like, you know, we just got to wait and see. And maybe I was even a little more down on the possibilities in 2018 just because – you were playing so many guys that you'd never seen before, like JoJo and uh, JoJo Ward and Cedric, Cedric Bird. Bird yeah. Like those guys are coming. You didn't know who they were really. I mean, you watched them in camp, but you didn't know what they were really capable of. And then they go up at Colorado State, and yeah. it just works. And then, like you said, with the run and shoot offense, it has an ability to when it starts to work, it starts to snowball, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we saw out of that season. They ended up starting that year six and one. Nobody saw that coming, right? And so. I think that's kind of just what you got to wait and see here in this game. I know that's a cheap answer or a cheap thought as far as like, hey, you just got to wait and see. Of course, you got to wait and see. But really, you don't know what this is going to look like against other teams. You don't know what this is going to look like when a defense, when when the offensive play call is dictated by what the defense shows you. And are these receivers capable of being able to do that? Because, you know, you got to go back and look in the run and shoot. You know, uh, and there's no disrespect to these guys' talents, but Britton Komine, Chad Mock, Jason Matthews, Shars, were these guys incredible athletes? Were these guys that when they showed up on the roster, you're like, oh, watch this. This is, you know, this is a future NFL football player. No, these are guys that that knew how to take advantage mm-hmm. of this offense and did it extremely well. Now, is Nick Seneco and, Ash, uh, you know, uh, Kuali Nishigaya and Pofele Pofele Ashlock Ashlock. and all these guys, you know, Stephen McBride, are they capable of doing that? I think you just have to wait and see in the game. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we mentioned it yesterday with Rich Miano in here. Uh, A little bit of my concern is how much will they miss a guy like Zion Bowens who had the speed right to get downfield. Uh, I think if he were able to play in this system from the beginning of the season, could have flourished because of his ability to uh, open up some possibilities to go over the top. Plus, he he was a little thicker, more physical than some of uh, you know the the listed starters here, especially at the wideout position like Stephen McBride, who's listed at 165. Uh, and so Zion Bowens was a lot harder to reroute defensively. And so I think that you know he he might be an entity that will be slightly missed in terms of trying to stretch the defense. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I've said it so many times. I love Koala Nishigaya. I think he is very much uh, sort of cut from the same cloth as some of the names that you just mentioned of a guy who just knows the game, who just plays the game, who just can get open, can be reliable. Uh, 
and then could maybe be a guy that can start to open up some uh, opportunities for for some other players. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how uh, how this pans out. It's uh, I think the one thing, uh, and and look, Vanderbilt because I mean they're SEC built, even though they're not an upper echelon SEC team. We've talked about the physicality and the speed, and when you have that, right, uh, it's like the old Larry Price saying, right, physical superiority cancels all theory. But what? Hawaii does potentially have on its side uh, and, and, and something that maybe could help them out and give them a boost, especially early on in the game, is a little bit of the element of surprise because Vanderbilt hasn't really seen anything that Hawaii is trying to establish more widely and long term as far as the offensive scheme is concerned. You saw some flashes of it down the stretch last season, but there's not a whole lot on video, uh, on film, so to speak, for Vanderbilt to look at. And even defensively, like what Hawaii was doing at the beginning of the year when they played Vanderbilt last year, uh, you almost couldn't really identify it. Now, you even hear the players themselves talk about it. Like, we have a system. We have an idea of who we are. We have an identity. And that was something they did not have for a good time, I think, last season so that kind of stuff gives you the hope that hey maybe Hawaii can at the very least get off to a good start and if they do maybe snowball effect kind of takes place uh, but if you get off to a decent start over there on the road then you're giving yourself a chance then you never really know after that what's going to happen absolutely and I think you bring up a good point on the defense where you know you pop up that Vanderbilt game from a defensive side of the ball and then you go and watch the San Diego State game mm-hmm. or even the Colorado State game you know games that they lost but still when you look at what the defense was at that time you can't even comprehend that that's the same football team and and, and that's why I tell a lot of people that hey they went 3-10 and 10 last year, but that was probably one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen in my life because when you look at where that team started yeah. to where they finished, and although it's only three victories, the growth within that roster and the, the, the development within that roster and within the coaching and within yeah. the scheming and everything – that, that was a completely different team. And so I'm interested to see what does a whole offseason now look like with that confidence of knowing how much better that team got in the course of a season. Imagine how much better you could get in an entire offseason. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think you saw just as much as players improve throughout a season, I think what you saw was a fairly young coaching staff also show signs of marked improvement last year. Uh, what does that then uh, portend here going into this season on Saturday? Uh, again, that's all you can do is wait and see, and we'll find out. Join Cole Mouseoff on YouTube channel or ESPNHonolulu.com. See the latest episode where Cole sits down with UH quarterback Braden Shager with some grinds from a Ruby Tuesday at CPB Athletes, brought to you by Central Pacific Bank, Hawaii's best bank. Robbie D's in the house. We'll get into some other stuff here when we come back. Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoalehi here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. I have a head-bobbing Rob DeMello of KHON2 Sports sharing the studio with me as the special guest co-host for the day. Uh, you dig this yeah, tune, it huh? It feels like it's springtime. And that's right. right that's like, I right. I feel like there's a, a University of Hawaii men's volleyball match tonight. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right. This has been the intro music for them for a number of years now. and uh, Such a great intro, man. It, it does, it does kind of give you the feels. It yeah. does give you the feels. And like they've kind of uh, played it to a T uh, on, uh, on men's volleyball game nights. It's women's volleyball. Uh, they'll have the floor, obviously, uh, tomorrow in their opener against Northwestern. We look forward to that. This is going to be a doozy of a tournament. We uh, talked with Kendra. 
Kendra Ham yesterday. Uh, again, just a reminder, uh, you have a top 10 team in Oregon, which uh, had a serve on match point and a swing on match point uh, that uh, could have propelled them into the final four last year, uh, but it wouldn't be. They would lose ultimately to Louisville. Uh, and then you have San Diego. They're a top 15 team. And they did make it to the Final Four for the first time in program history uh, last year. And they're just loaded. Northwestern, a Big Ten team. They're huge. Um, this is going to be an absolute showcase of top-notch uh, collegiate volleyball talent. So get on down to the arena starting tomorrow night. Uh, and if you want to get there early for that showdown uh, between Oregon and San Diego, hurrah, yeah. that could be epic for sure. And uh, not going to be televised, so uh, it behooves you to get on down there. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Um, had, again, Rich Miano in the studio yesterday, so we talked a little bit about this whole back-and-forth beef uh, between Ryan Clark and Tua Tungavailoa. Ryan Clark, basically the ESPN analyst, former defensive back in the NFL, Super Bowl winner with the Steelers, um, body-shaming Tua to a degree in some very weird s- series of comments uh, where he compared uh, his derriere to that of an exotic dancer and basically kind of teased him about his diet and, and not going to the gym. And uh, Tua bristled at that, and I, I think we're all in agreement that Ryan Clark, uh, when you're a football analyst, it, it probably serves you better to be analyzing the football part. Uh, but you know how it is in this day and age, right? You're just trying to get clicks. Popularity is the most important thing, uh, even beyond credibility uh, and sometimes beyond tastefulness. And I think that we can all agree that Ryan Clark crossed a certain line there uh, to a he, he seemed to puff his chest a little bit and be like, hey, we got to get scrappy. Yeah. I come from a Samoan family. We've got to get scrappy. We can get scrappy. Uh, since then, though, it appears as though Ryan Clark has, in fact, apologized uh, for the comments. Um, Tyreek Hill also, by the way, chiming in saying Tua's response uh, to that criticism fires him up. Uh, but if you wanted to give a quick take here, uh, because you weren't in yesterday when we talked about it, but a little bit of an advancement of the story, Ryan Clark saying uh, apparently that uh, he's uh, he's he's uh, has has now apologized in writing and in a recorded message. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, we've talked about this before, and just the the world of sports, where at times like it, it it almost doesn't feel like real life, right? And whether you're an analyst or whether you're a fan, sometimes you talk about someone or. Um, you know, you say things about someone that you wouldn't say to a person that, you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't say that to somebody. Like, to their face. To their face, right? Uh, especially not someone that you're not boys with, That's right? the thing, yeah. Like, this is, I mean, like comparing his butt to that <laughs> of an exotic stripper in Atlanta and, like, that was just so strange i mean yeah. I, like Tua said it best in the very beginning where he's like, that's just weird. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah, weird. It is, it's strange. You know, and... And again, I mean, it's just another sign that like, hey, guys, whether you're an analyst or you're a fan, like these athletes are people. These are human beings. These, like, you know, they're not these characters that, that 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 are in comic books or like these are people who like have families and have children. And um, it's just it's just sad. I mean, and, you know, that's just the world we live in now. And, yeah. and like you said, it's social media driven. It's like uh, who can. Who can get this click and this post? Who can out-extreme who? Who's going to say the most extreme thing? Craziest thing so that everyone picks it up and runs with it. And, you know, but it's just sad that that's where we are as a society. And, and yeah, like I I respect Ryan Clark as an analyst. I think he's great. I've really been a fan of his. When those Monday night football games end, and I don't know if he's still in that role, but Mm -hmm. it, it would be him and Scott Van Pelt talking about 
the game that I mean, he was awesome, yeah. right? And and even with Daniel Cormier on, there's the and but when you get to this and and you're saying things like that, it's just like yeah, it's a major turnoff to where it's just like have some respect. Yeah. Like if you want to say like, hey, I don't think Tua is the guy from a football standpoint. I I question his decision making. I question his durability or whatever. Have at it. That's different, right? But when you start talking about that, yeah, like that's just well, like have some respect because that's stuff that you can't fully know like it's all yeah. speculation and presumption uh and 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 stuff that sort of feeds into areas that's like a little bit more on the personal side um and if he wants to question because you know if Tua came out and he was you know 340 pounds coming into camp and you can be like I'm not sure if he did what was best for his body then yeah go for it but uh you're making a lot of presumptions and there's a high degree of speculation with what Ryan Clark said uh that seems to not necessarily be appropriate he made the initial comments on Monday as part of uh, NFL Live uh, studio segment on ESPN. Uh, he has since, though, uh, in writing, apologized. He wrote in a tweet, uh, when I decided to do TV, I had two main priorities. One, respect all NFL players, coaches, executives, and staff members. Two, earn and keep the respect of those very same people. I do my best to be honest when executing my job, as well as being honest when I fall short. I fell short on Monday, and for that, I genuinely apologize. So, are we good? Do you feel like that this apology took a little too long to come? Uh, is, is, should it be even considered as big a deal as people are sort of making it out to be? Uh, we good with this or what? Yeah. I mean, he apologized and, and that's all you can do, right? Yeah. I mean, he can't go back in time and, and undo it, right? Yeah. I mean, he did it. He's going to have to live with the ramifications of his credibility being shot a little bit, of his, you know, people not respecting the things he says. And um, But all you can do is apologize. And, and I mean, yeah, man, that's it doesn't mean it goes away. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen. But I, I respect the fact that, that he called himself out on, on his shortcomings, and that's really all you can ask for out yeah. of people, right? Yeah. All right. Um, before we uh, finish up this segment, we've got a few more minutes left. Uh, I know another uh, event that we'll be watching very closely, of course, the start of UH football and Rainbow Wahine Volleyball. Max Holloway getting back in the octagon against Korean Zombie. Um, Max, who had a pretty emotional press conference here in the run-up to this event uh, where he talked about how – much he has been pained by everything that has happened on the island of Maui. Uh, he is going to dedicate his walkout song to Lahaina. He is going to wear red for the first time uh, as a show of solidarity with the people uh, of Lahaina specifically, uh, but the island of Maui as a whole. Um, what do you think about this fight here for Max? What are you sort of looking forward to, and, and what's the, the final expectation here? I think it's going to be a fun fight going up against a guy like the Korean Zombie, who's a legend in his own right, and, um, you know, two guys that are known to be strikers and and so this is going to be an entertaining fight i don't know how many people in hawaii are going to watch it live the fight card does start at 2 a.m hawaii time on espn plus which means he's six fights in so he's probably not fighting closer to like 4 4 30 something like that in the morning hawaii time and so uh this might be one of those deals where a lot of people are waking up and like oh did max win right let's, let's see the highlights let's see um, but I think it, for anyone that does either stay up really late or wake up really early <laughs> here in the islands, uh, they're in for a treat. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's a big fight for him because there's still a lot to accomplish. And there's a lot of people questioning this fight and, you know, what's the gain for Max? <laughs> you know, in Like fight. what's the what's the next step from yeah, this? And I think the next step for Max is he just got to continue to fight and continue to win. Um, because he's in an interesting situation with that featherweight division where you've lost to Volkanovski three times, yet you've cleared out everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so you just keep 
fighting, man. You just keep fighting and keep entertaining. You keep adding to your legacy. And I mean, there's no, uh, there, there's no um, downfall to a win. Now, if you lose this fight, then yeah, that definitely changes the trajectory of what happens next for him. But he's also at a point in his career where this is a, a Hall of Famer. This yeah, is he can just champ. legacy fight his he way into the sunset, his fight right? Forever, yeah. right? Until he feels like I'm done fighting, right? There's always going to be fights for him. There's always going to be people willing to watch him fight. He's going to continue to add to his already UFC record of significant strikes landed significant strikes absorbed like all those things i mean in this fight he becomes number one all time in ufc featherweight bouts right he also becomes the the person with the most fights in ufc history from the state of hawaii passing bj penn they're in a tie right now at 27 this would be his 28th so every time he walks out there he's breaking some kind of record and, and really uh, it, it's like i said earlier in this show how about you just enjoy it? How about you just enjoy <laughs> ah. that you have Max Holloway and he's a representative of, of Hawaii. He's done great things. He may still do great things in the future. Just enjoy it. And why are people tripping out about what does this fight mean? What does this get him closer to the title? How like why are they having this fight? Like how about how about you get to watch Max Holloway fight in his prime? That's that's it, man. That's why you should watch. And bringing it back full circle. Yes, Rob DeMello. Uh, sports, what what color is the sky in your sports world? Because that's where I want to live. I want to be in that <laughs> world that you're describing where, yeah, we can just kind of kick back, relax, uh, and enjoy each other and enjoy what we're watching. But, um, yeah, that's just unfortunately not how it works. And it's but just it, depressing every time. Hey, just just, uh, just power through, man. Yeah, just, yeah, we can make just, it happen, right? Just, if you I shouldn't just, throw in the towel so early. Yeah, we can make it happen. Towel, okay, all right, like, yes, yes. keep your head down Solidarity. just keep going, man. Solidarity. Catch UH and NFL football at 850 Craft Beer and Whiskey Bar at Leeward Bowl. They're open at 6 a.m. Sunday showing all the NFL games. For Monday and Thursday night football, enjoy happy hour poo-poo from 4 to 7 p.m. daily. For Hawaii football games, they'll have awesome menu specials as well. 850 is the home of the new video wall, and it's the place for UH, college, and NFL football. All right, Robbie D is in the house. Uh, some words of wisdom, and then also completing the full circle back to what we talked about early in the show. That's why you do what you do. We're going to come back with our best and worst. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Robbie D, Rob DeMello of KHUN2 Sports uh, is my guest co-host here for the day. Uh, all right, Robbie, let's get into our best and worst. Um, you got you got a best? Do, do, do you, you got a worst? Do you have a worst? Would, like would you like to start with the worst? Like, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, You know what? I, I don't have a worst, man. Uh, <sighs> I, I'm sorry I tried, but... Did you? We got enough. Did words, you try? We have enough. Yeah. So I mean, just for this day, like we just, like I, I, I'm good. Um, but I do have a best. Okay. And uh, it's from a Hawaii native, Punahou graduate, Kaimi Fairbairn from Kailua, the place kicker for the Houston Texans. Um, like so many athletes from the state of Hawaii, some that aren't from the state of Hawaii are uh, trying to be a big help when it comes to the Maui relief efforts. And what he's doing is pretty awesome. He pledged to donate $250 for each successful field goal all season long, $100 for each extra point uh, to the rebuilding Maui campaign following the devastating fires in Maui. He's calling on people to jump on board and pledge with him. He has other NFL football players from Hawaii that are part of this. Um, Kamu Grugier Hill being one mm -hmm. who has not yet announced what his pledge will be, but there's going to be a, a bunch of Hawaii guys that are getting together. They're going to be pledging things for what they do throughout the season. All that money is going to go 
to Maui relief efforts and they're asking people to jump on board as well. So you could go to Kiimi's uh, Instagram page. There's a lot more information. I think that is fantastic. And again, just one of so many yeah. that are doing their part. And, and, and I don't want to diminish what anyone else is doing because there's so many people. Um, uh, but just awesome to, to see this kind of support yeah. coming from uh, a Hawaii native. Yeah, just one example. We, you know, we mentioned uh, the Oregon uh, women's volleyball team. They're coming into town uh, and they held a supply drive uh, that was really Really prompted by the players on the team, uh, a couple of them with ties to Hawaii, uh, and so they were asking fans to bring supplies uh, and materials to their exhibition match last week against Portland State. They got such a response, they're shipping it over separately. They were planning on just bringing it with them. Uh, but we talked with uh, this morning uh, on behalf of Spectrum Sports, uh, talked with Shane Davis, the head coach for Northwestern. They did a similar thing. They packaged up a bunch of stuff, a bunch of gear, clothes, other materials. They put them in a, a, a bunch of boxes, and of course. You know, Northwestern uh, have a little more coin to be able to travel, so they were able to check in most of that stuff, and they brought it with them. So, um, just you know, all the way in Chicago, you have this institution uh, that is because of their trip out to Hawaii, thinking about Maui, and I, I don't think it necessarily uh, requires uh, a trip here for people to have Maui uh, on their thoughts. And so, just the response has been really, really unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, definitely a best on so many parts. And the thing is, is we're gonna have to keep this effort going uh, because six months from now, twelve months from now people are still going to be needing a lot of this kind of support so uh, let's not forget about that all right uh, i'll just do my worst real quick because it's so trivial but jerry judy my keeper in my fantasy football <laughs> league had to be uh, carted off with a hamstring injury uh, at the denver broncos practice so okay yeah. well uh my worst then is i missed the uh, fantasy baseball playoffs in my fantasy oh. baseball league i was the defending champion that's I, a worst i missed it by one loss. No way. Right? So the, the team that got in as the eight oh, there you go. had the same amount of wins as I did, but uh, I had one more loss. He had one more tie, and I missed the playoffs. Oh, man, um, I'm so, so sorry. So, hey, there's a worse. There you go. And there's no better radio than a couple yeah. of guys talking about, about their, their respective fantasy teams. Fantasy yeah, exactly. Teams. Yeah. Everybody gets into that. Because everyone's hanging on the balance of what the Mo'ili Ili Angels do. <laughs> uh, all right. My best is uh, Dwight Gooden, along with Daryl Strawberry, going to have each of their respective jersey numbers retire by the New York Mets sometime next season in separate pregame ceremonies. Doc Gooden, as you know, my all-time favorite baseball player, the reason I'm a New York Mets fan, uh, rookie of the year in 84, Cy Young winner in 85, World Series champion in 86, had a few off-the-field issues to say the least, uh, but then made a great comeback through a no-hitter with the New York Yankees. Uh, and just, uh, I, I love the guy. And uh, when I find out when this uh, game is going to be, I might try to go over there. Oh, I hope you do, Doc bro. Doc Gooden, baby. I hope you do. I can't believe that his number has not been retired. Yeah, the Mets have been kind of stingy, especially like wow. in recent times with retiring numbers, but they're retiring these two uh, these two Mets great, so I'm very happy about that. All right, stay cool this summer. Get the new Bosch Inverter Central Air Conditioning System that qualifies for up to a $1,000 Hawaii Energy Remate. Ask your contractor for the Bosch Inverter. All right, once again, big mahalo to Rob DeMello for sitting in here today as my guest co-host. Sorry about Shohei, man. But you know what? We're going to do in Rob DeMello fashion. We're going to watch sports, and we're going to enjoy sports this weekend, right? Right. That's how we do it here. Let's talk sports. We'll see you tomorrow.